It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ every weekday morning from our studio on the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. This is sort of a Monday with Eric. I've really enjoyed these times in the studio uh, this year. It's definitely different, I would say, as far as a communication style, because I love having a live audience. So I have to imagine all of you out there and I'm hoping it doesn't dim anything because my passion is still very real, but it's strange sort of shouting and yelling uh, when I'm sitting here in front of a microphone and a, a camera. It's, it's fun because uh, David, who helps direct and produce these things, there's a little lamb above the camera, which I think is just the, sort of the constant reminder of, of Jesus uh, in front of me as I do this. So I'm ultimately preaching to Jesus. Remember how Luke wrote uh, to King Theophilus, and uh, I think that's sort of how we do it. We're like the little drummer boy, you know, playing our best for truly Jesus, even if he's the audience of one. So Jesus, this is for you. Uh, this message is called The Hill to Die On, and so is the four-part series. For those of you that are unfamiliar with how a Monday is working during this season, so I give a message uh, that shows up in the podcast, and it's part one of a four-part series. But the other three parts are actually not in the podcast. You have to go to ellersley.com forward slash daily to grab the other three. So if you want to take this idea deeper, which is this particular one is on the preeminence of Jesus, and oh, just a wonderful meditation on that, then you want to go to the website and dig those out. And it should be pretty easy to come by. Uh, but the hill to die on, a study in the preeminence of Jesus Christ. So Hudson, my oldest, is in the midst of uh, Algebra 1, and, um, you know, uh, I, I actually really enjoyed Algebra, and I can't say that Hudson's enjoying it as much as, as I enjoyed it, but there's one key thing that I think is fascinating that I want to draw out and apply to the Christian life, and for some of you, you know it as PEMDAS, uh, but that's the order of operations. In an Algebra equation, there's so you have the, the complex problem that you need to solve, to solve this. And yet to solve it, you need to actually follow a certain order of priority. And if you don't follow the order of priority, you get the problem wrong, which is rather shocking because you could be excellent with subtraction. And yet if you do your subtraction first, you actually are going to get the overall problem wrong. And it's not because you don't know how to subtract. It's that the subtraction is in the wrong order. And so PEMDAS, you know, parentheses, exponents, uh, multiplication, division, and then addition, subtraction. So that's the proper order of operations. And so you could say, what in the world does that have to do with this, Eric? I thought we were talking about spiritual truths and not algebra. In fact, you're bringing back a lot of bad memories uh, for me. But actually, in the kingdom of heaven, I'm going to call it the Christianic order of operations, for lack of a better term. But there is a proper order in which we appropriate the life we live, the truth even in the gospel. And so when you approach the Bible, there are certain things that if you take out of order, they're there, like subtraction is there, and it's an important operation, it's important to be good at subtraction, but if you actually lift it up and put it in its in an out of place in a wrong priority, like highlight it or make it too big of a font size, it actually causes you to get the whole thing wrong. And many of us have done this in our Christian life. In other words, you can go to the Bible and find certain doctrines in there that are true. And yet, if you make that your priority point, and every time you get into a discussion, you always start with that, you really mangle the whole Christian life. If you've ever dealt with someone who's dogmatic about their soteriology or they're dogmatic about their eschatology, 
the Bible teaches soteriology. It's the science of salvation. It does. It teaches eschatology. It's not that those are wrong. It's just that if you mishandle them by putting them as the priority, you actually mess with this entire idea of a functional Christianity. You see, a lot of people will put doctrinal excellence over behavioral excellence. And I would say, I'm going to, in studying Scripture, put behavior actually above doctrine, even though I don't believe you can have a good behavior without a good doctrine. I think the two dovetail. But I want you to just think about this. How will you know a disciple of Jesus Christ? By their love for one another. And so, actually, the chief evidence that you have been transformed by Jesus is behavioral. It's not just what you know. Now, like I said earlier, it's not the diminishment of what you know any more than it's the diminishment of subtraction. You still need to know it, otherwise you're going to still get the problem wrong. But it's to put the priority in place. And so that's what I sort of want to do when it comes to the global idea of Christianity. Let's make sure we have our Christianic order of operations right. And if we do, if we know what the North Star is in Scripture, we can fix our compass to it and we can actually move in the right direction. Matthew 16, 26 sort of talks about the same concept. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? And so there's, there's different ideas of like what is the priority, what is the value position in our life? So you, you, know, you pop out of your mother's womb and you're growing up and it's like, what is life about? What is the purpose of life? If you get that wrong and you put the wrong priority, for instance, Worthly, uh, earth, <laughs> worthly, earthly goods have value. They do. In, in other words, for me to have a house actually has value. For me to have a car actually does matter. But the priority of that is lower than something else. And that's what this seems to go after. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world? If you have all the stuff that would give you that security, that sense of place, that sense of comfort, and lose your own soul. In other words, the soul issues are higher than the physical issues. And we need to make sure that we're willing to give up physical comforts, if necessary, to actually gain soul completeness, to gain soul health, which is, of course, what the, the, the life of Christ is calling us to, to pick up a cross and follow him. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. If I pick up a cross and follow you, Lord Jesus, that could mean this, this, and this. And he goes, I know. But if you really want to solve this algebraic equation known as your life, you need to make sure you do this first. Let me take care of the rest. First, you seek the kingdom of heaven and my righteousness and all these other things I'll start to deal with in your life. The determination of the early church. So if you've been trained at Ellerslie, you know that we harp on this quite a bit. And that is what I'll oftentimes refer to as the North Star. So when you approach Scripture, there's a lot of stuff in Scripture. Scripture is a big, big book, right? 66 individual books all collected together. It's a big, big volume. And if I were to say, so what is the foundation? What is it about? What, what is the whole point? Well, that's debatable. And so you could go to this denomination and they would say, well, it's about spiritual gifts, this one. You know, well, it's about baptism. Well, this one. It's about what day of the week you celebrate the Sabbath. You have these varying opinions. And I would say, actually, let's just cut through all the fog and let the Bible itself explain that. And so this line is very, very important in that because you have Paul going to the church at Corinth and they're divided. In fact, the whole book of Corinthians sort of looks like the modern church today. We have all our denominations, and ironically, our denominations are based on the same premise points that 1 Corinthians is based on. It's really an irony, isn't it? And so 1 Corinthians 2.2, Paul's going to cut through the fog and give the North Star. He says, For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. You see, he's given us the center of the center. 
He's given us in an order of operations, the very first operation, if we're going to begin to understand God's purpose, what is the Bible about? It's about Jesus, and it's about what Jesus is going to do. You see, if you miss that, like the Pharisees are going to miss that. They're going to have all the scriptures, but they're going to miss Jesus, and they're going to miss what he does on that cross. And as a result, they're going to fail in their assignment. That's the last thing we want to do is miss Jesus and what Jesus did. It seems sort of ridiculous to have the whole Bible and miss the center of it, the North Star. And so that's why it's critical that we understand the hill to die on. If we're going to be passionate about something, if we're going to be vigorous about something, if we're going to go after something with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we need to make sure it's the right thing. So I have a, if you're watching the video of this, I have a slide that says, Preaching Christ and Him Crucified. This is my passion. This is what I'm going to train people to do. It's, I want them to, it's not the absence of other doctrines that they don't understand. I'm not saying, hey, let's not study the rest of the Bible. I'm saying let's first and foremost land this. Let's get our feet solid on Jesus and what Jesus did. If you have that, you have what you need. If you go to a prison cell and you're stripped of your Bible, you want to make sure you remember this, who Jesus is and what he did for you, because that's your message to everyone around you. Even if you're inefficient in passing along some of the sub-doctrines, boy, if they get that one, it's going to change their life radically. Acts 5.42, I love this. And daily in the temple... And in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach. Okay, now I know if you're seeing this on your screen, you, you see the end answer. I should have had it sort of, uh, you know, dot, 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 and then gone to the next screen. But for those of you getting this via podcast, you don't know. It, it, they ceased not to teach and preach. What? What did they go uh, daily in the temple and in every house not ceasing to teach and preach? What was so important that they taught and, and uh, preached it everywhere they went? Okay, guys, you ready for this? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it in full. They ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Isn't that an amazing message to have? Jesus Christ, that's your message? Yes, that's my message. That's what this is about. He is salvation. You want to understand eschatology? What's, what's in the end? Jesus. It's a man. It's not just a, an eschatological view of you know pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib. It's Jesus. Jesus is our future. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And so we need to make sure we get Jesus in there. It does not mean that those other things don't have answers and that we shouldn't wrestle with them. It's just that it's meaningless to wrestle with them, to gain the whole world of doctrine and to lose Jesus. Well, that doesn't make any sense. So I wanted to give you something that just sort of goes straight down this alley. And that's Spurgeon's, if you guys know Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon's first sermon in the tabernacle. So the Metropolitan Tabernacle, famous. Now, is, this information is a little dated for those of us in our modern day. We maybe not don't know Charles Spurgeon, who was considered in history as the prince of preachers, one of the greatest, if not the greatest preacher of all time. And his famous location was the tabernacle, the Metropolitan Tabernacle. So this is March 25th, 1861. He was 27 years old, and this is his first sermon. And so this is how his ministry in this famed location is going to start. So this is what he says. It appears that the one subject upon which men preached in the apostolic age was Jesus Christ. The tendency of man, if left alone, is continually to go further and further from God. And the church of God itself is no exception to the general rule. For the first few years, during and after the apostolic era, Christ Jesus was preached. But gradually the church departed from the central point and began rather to preach ceremonials and church offices than the person of their Lord. So it has been in these modern times. We also have fallen into the same error 
at least to a degree, and have gone from preaching Christ to preaching doctrines about Christ. Inferences which may be drawn from his life or definitions which may be gathered from his discourses. In the days of Paul, it was not difficult at once, in one word, to give the sum and substance of the current theology. It was Christ Jesus. <laughs> what do you believe? Go to any denomination. Imagine if the answer was, I believe Christ Jesus. Boy, that would simplify things, wouldn't it? Had you asked any one of those disciples what he believed, he would have replied, I believe Christ. I would propose that the subject of the ministry of this house, as long as this platform shall stand, and as long as this house shall be frequented by worshipers, shall be the person of Jesus Christ. If I am asked to say, what is my creed? I think I must reply, it is Jesus Christ. The body of divinity to which I would pin and bind myself forever, God helping me, is Christ Jesus who is the sum and substance of the gospel, who is in himself all theology, the incarnation of every precious truth, the all-glorious personal embodiment of the way, the truth, and the life. Oh, I love that. 2 Corinthians 11, 2-3. For I am jealous over you, says Paul to the church at Corinth, with godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear, lest by any means as a serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Now, if you're seeing this on your screen, watching it via video, you see that I'm going to amplify the word simplicity. The word simplicity here is defined as singularity of focus. So what is Paul concerned about? That they are going to be beguiled, as Eve was beguiled by the serpent, away from the singularity of focus that is on Jesus Christ. Oh, that's why I'm so passionate about this. This is the center. Or as the name of this message is, it's the hill to die on. So my screen, if you're watching this video, says looking for something. It's, we, see, we have an ache for purpose. We want to have a reason to live. We want to have a reason to get up in the morning. Do we as Christians? I love this quote. I don't know who to attribute it to, so I just called it anonymous. But if by the age of 30 you don't have anything worth dying for, then you don't have anything worth living for. And I remember thinking about that when I was in my young 20s. Do I have anything worth dying for? I mean, I, I love the Denver Broncos, and I think they're the best uh, team in the world. I love John Elway. I think he's the best quarterback. I love Canadian bacon and pineapple pizza, but I wouldn't die for any of those things. I, Eric Ludy, have something worth dying for. Jesus Christ, he has set me free. I love him so passionately, so fervently. I have something worth dying for. Therefore, I have something worth living for. He's a center point. It changes the life of a human being when they give themselves to Jesus and discover who he is. So the hill to die on. If you're looking for a hill to die on, I highly recommend you check out the hill of Calvary, where you will find the singular man and the singular work that made all things new. So before we close off, and I just want to remind you that if you're wanting to go deeper into this idea of the preeminence of Christ, I have some really good stuff in the next, uh, the second, third, and fourth episodes in this series, but you're going to have to go to our website to get them. They won't be in the Daily Thunder podcast, and it's at, at ellersley.com forward slash daily. But before we close, I wanted to have you get, get just a little media piece uh, just to close off to meditate upon some of the things we're doing here at Ellersley. Guys, I look forward to seeing you next Monday doing the same thing, going deeper for Jesus. All right, God's blessings. Our one-week training is sort of our 
cheater's way of helping all of you gain a foundation and get started in this grand epic adventure known as following after Jesus. And if there was ever a time in history where we need to be grounded and sound on the Word of God, boy, it's now. Our desire isn't to lead you to us, it's to lead you to Jesus. And so that you can take this hope of eternal life back to your home, to your church, to your family, and see them changed as well. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder is streamed daily, Monday through Friday, from our studio in Windsor, Colorado. And our weekend church service is delivered live and streamed at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. Note that our live weekday in-person version of Daily Thunder is scheduled to resume this upcoming June in conjunction with our training season. Learn more at ellerslie.com. Thanks for listening.